to the Business and Bliss podcast. I'm here, Lisa Kay. What, what? I'm here with my co-host, Jen Conkey. Welcome. Hey, everybody. Welcome. All right. And we have an awesome guest today, Kathleen Busco. I'm going to turn it over to you to tell us all about your biz, and then we'll jump into your bliss journey as well. But welcome, welcome to the Business and Bliss podcast. I love being here. You guys are doing some great work. Um, So my business is all about making organizations better than they were the day before. And that incremental test that goes on in every organization and candidly with every person. And so helping people and within organizations really understand what they can accomplish, when they can accomplish it, and what can really make them happy in that process. Um, And I do a lot of different things from coaching to consulting to hosting my own podcast to helping everyone connect the dots because the dots podcast is all about how do you pull those things together and make it happen. Yeah. I had the pleasure of being on Kathleen's podcast a couple weeks ago and it was pretty cool. It's very efficient. And I mean, you did it on Zencaster, I believe. And it was just, it was very efficient, very cool, very thorough. And I did some research and like looked at and watched some other episodes. Very cool theme in that podcast on connecting everybody up and putting themes together. Yeah. I mean, yeah, you come, everybody comes to the table, whether it's an organizational table or to your own life from a lot of different experiences and you can process that in a lot of different ways. But the challenge is I think that most, as I'm now working with smaller organizations, small businesses, medium businesses, medium sized businesses, I come from a fortune 500 background, Fortune actually 50 background, which is terrifying. Um, But I started in media and I was oftentimes the only girl around the table. Um, And in fact, one of my favorite experiences was being at, uh, as I call them, the timeout chairs that were around the room, but not actually at the table. Yeah, I know what you mean. Okay. Yeah, right, right. So you're in the timeout chairs. Like, we want you to be here because you might be smart, but we don't want to let you sit at the table because that would be acknowledgement that you could actually make a contribution. That would be. Yeah, we wouldn't want you to think that, Kathleen. You wouldn't want anybody to think that, right? Yeah. But there was one woman around the table, and the best part about it was that she owned the holding company that this particular Fortune 50 company was nested under. And she turned around, she was not American. And she turned around and said to me, I'm so sorry that you have to work with these, insert pejorative word, every single day. It must be terrifying. Oh, yeah. And it was terrifying. We were Mm -hmm. filled with an extraordinary amount of innovation, excitement, the real passion to do things differently, but they were, they were so stuck and so fearful of deviating that even their own espousal to being innovative was really just about being different enough, right? Different enough that you didn't feel like they weren't quite living up to their own PR. Yeah. And it was fascinating to me that she was willing to say that to me but she wasn't willing to invite me to the table. Yeah. Right? And I think that's something that women in business are just coming into their own, right? We're just confident enough now to say all of us get to sit at the table. Yeah. Right? 
And so I think that's the challenge that, that I face most of the time in the work that I'm doing today with smaller organizations is that it's not a diminishment of your power or of your innovation, of your vision to invite everyone to sit at the table because in their diversity, in their lens, there's a granularity of richness and excitement mm -hmm. that can make your business better than you ever expected. Yeah. And I think even, I even expand upon that, you know, and Jen has given me a lot of awareness to this, but I think it's, it's absolutely about inviting women to the table. And I think that that's like probably incredibly resonant with you specifically because you were in that situation where you weren't invited to the table. But I think in general, you know, I'm that, I'm that person that like when I see the person like sitting by themselves, I'm like, Hey, come join us. You know, like I, sure. um, you know, I've, I've, I went to three different high schools. And so I went through like, at, you know, the worst, most difficult time of your life when you're like, yeah. oh, that's terrible and like acne and whatever you're like going to a new school and right you know you're like the person I went from Kentucky to Connecticut so I was like you know southern girl going to Connecticut everyone was like you know Birkenstocks and like <laughs> and corduroys I mean it was the 90s you know so but my point is like I've been in that position and right so the, you know, your experience, my experience and Jen, you know, you went through a similar thing with just like your interests and you kind of had that like isolation experience. I think all of us have that unique thing that we, anyone who is like sitting outside of the circle, so to speak, right? Sure, right. Like anyone who's in the timeout cares. Yeah, but I think the challenge is for women, they, we've accepted that feminism is masculinity in our body and not accepting feminism. Feminism is masculinity in our body. Tell me right. more about that. It, it means that we have to stick to the same rules that govern the timeout chairs, right? The timeout chairs were not set up by women. The timeout chairs were set up by an infrastructure that was largely populated by white men in the 1950s, mm -hmm. right? The giant conference room table with timeout chairs is a relic of a different age. It really is. And I know what you're talking about, Kathleen, because in my early career, um, this was pre-Target. None of this ever happened at Target, by the way. I feel like uh, I was gifted with an amazing yeah. corporation when I started with them. But the two companies before did that. There'd be the big conference room, and then there was the center table, and only the great could sit at that center table. Absolutely. And if you were like, you know, lucky enough to get in the room and sit on the outskirts to watch as the real people and intelligence met right. about business, then right. you, know, you were you were great. And it was like they they set it up that way so that once you made it to the center table, it was like you had arrived. But then ego followed once you were at that center table, you treated people differently. So yeah, there was a dynamic there that um, I think most corporations have been moving away from, hopefully. They're trying, right? They're trying. But I think that that's where, to your point, the, um, the pylon of ego, the pylon of, gosh, I worked harder than you. Yeah. It got to that big table yeah. that I think oftentimes can be a hurdle for women. Yes. And what it, what we it does reach behind, right? We don't do business in bliss. We don't say, Hey, I'm at the big girl table, girl table, and you can be here too. Yes. Right. And, and we don't do enough of that. And I think that that's what we've got to do. Exactly. It's not a competition. So when I say feminism is not being a man in a woman's body, it's not mimicking what kept us from the table from the beginning. 
Right. That makes sense to me. I understand. Lisa, right? does, does that make it's, sense to you, Lisa? It's, it's, yeah. being, it's being more like you, Lisa. It's being like, hey, how are you? Welcome to the party. What can you bring to the party that's different than me? Absolutely. And together we're an incredible powerhouse. And, that, and, and that's I feel, a challenge. I feel that that comes from confidence. That comes from confidence to open your mouth and welcome someone to that table, even if it's unpopular, even if it's uncomfortable for others in the room, right? I feel, and, and that's something that I have had to learn. I have not always been confident. I actually struggled with that through my youth. But now that I have learned confidence, and I still am learning it every day, my gosh, I think we all are. Absolutely. But when you can get to that place to be confident enough to say, hey, so-and-so you come out of your chair, come to the table. You're welcome here. Right. And we're using this as a metaphor for so many other things. Right. But I think that is what my gosh, I hope that we're all aiming for is the ability to like voice the unpopular opinion to like shake up the status quo, right. To challenge what, how it's always been done so that there is more inclusion. There is more diversity. There is more, you know, a sense of welcome and inclusion. Yeah. You know, I think, I think we live in challenging times. Mm -hmm. I think we live in challenging times and I, you know, if, if nothing, and perhaps I'm sitting here on a, a, a day that's very close to some significant national issues that have happened. And I mm -hmm. sit here and think, wow, I kind of thought we got beyond this. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And so if there's nothing that I do in this few minutes that we have together, but to remind women that we've gotten beyond that. Yeah. And it's still the responsibility, however, to make sure that we continue to keep pushing forward. So to your point, Lisa, there is the opportunity to do things differently, that that diversity and inclusion is a part of who we are today, not somebody we're getting to and not somebody who was behind us. Mm -hmm. It's who we are today. Mm -hmm. And that's a challenge when you're in a small business, particularly. And it's a challenge when you're in a nonprofit environment to remember that there are more visions around the table. There are different lenses that can add a richness. It's not about competition. It's about an inclusion and a richness that gives us the ability to solve problems in a very unique way. Yeah, I've always said that diversity of thought is what's missing. The Absolutely. Gender doesn't matter. Like blow out the gender line. It's the diversity of thought and approach that will make us so so much stronger. So I'm I'm not in that school of hey girl power and, and you guys both know that the whole girl power thing. I yes absolutely I respect everybody that paved the way for me before sure. I arrived. I absolutely respect that. And there was it was a different time. But yeah. this is the time where you know it shouldn't be you know the boys club against the girls club. It should be the we club and we all need to get in embrace the diversity of thought because we absolutely help complete each other it doesn't I'm probably i'm certainly probably more girl power than you are i mean 51 percent yeah. is 51 percent sure sure don't argue with the statistics right yeah. no agree. Um, but but within that spectrum even 51 percent there is a spectrum of innovation and diversity and thought and reference point that again adds to richness adds to the ability to innovate from a different point of view and we shouldn't fear that okay. and i think that we we risk falling into that fear pattern yeah and that fear pattern is predicated on the world gone by 
It's not predicated on today, and it's certainly not predicated on the future because I can't predict the future. I can read some tea leaves. That's pretty cool. But what? We're going to have to talk about that. <laughs> We're going to have to talk about tea leaves. But, I, you know, it's about looking forward, right? And taking that step forward. Right. You know, Kathleen, something that you said really resonated with me, you know, about about everyone at the table feeling comfortable to share their thoughts and voice their opinions. And, you know, one of the things that I see as I go into these small businesses who are struggling with retention, it, you know, and I'm doing exit interviews, I'm talking with people about why they're leaving. And, you know, a common theme, which really launched, you know, my pivot in my coaching business, but a common theme was this fact that I don't feel like I can be my authentic self. I feel that I show up to the table and I say like what everybody wants me to say and what's safe to say because my really cool, crazy idea that actually would have been really amazing and solved the issue. I was scared to talk about it. I was nervous to bring it up. I was afraid I would get fired if I challenged, you know, my boss's dumb idea or non-productive idea or whatever. Sure. Sure. Um, And so you know, what I go in and help these, these leaders and these owners of these businesses do is become more comfortable with their own vulnerability, become more comfortable with their own ability to be transparent, which creates a greater sense of confidence in them. So they can then model that to their team and create this greater sense of authenticity amongst their team where, you know, I used to tell my team all the time, like, there's nothing we can't talk about. There's absolutely nothing we can't talk about. There's no idea. There's no feedback. There's no challenge. There's nothing we can't talk about. And I think if, if we can evolve and, and to your point, you know, from a women's standpoint, like get more women to be confident and speaking up and voicing their opinion and sharing the unpopular truth and creating a safe space for them to do that. My gosh. We yes. might be able to solve world peace. Well, I, 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 I honestly think there is enough brain power to solve world peace. I think it's the dynamics that we talked about before, right? It's about ego. It's about, especially when you're looking at small to medium-sized businesses, you know, they were generally started by an entrepreneur who took a risk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And they don't generally hire people who are also risk takers uh, because there's, 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 um, certainly an ego dynamic, but, but there's also fear, right? I could lose what I've done if I bring somebody else in like me, Mm -hmm. right? I don't know if I do that. So it's easier to mold a team around being vanilla. Yeah. You know, because salted caramel. Yeah. Yeah. It's so true. And it's like, it's been a problem for for a long time, even big corporations. So it it literally is a matter of, do you want a bunch of yes people, or do you want people that are going to come to work, actually use their brains, contribute, think, scale your business, move it forward. And you get to that level where it's literally everybody, it's, it's so much easier to push people out to the sidelines than it is to include. Yeah. But I mean, all of that is about overcoming fear, right? Yeah. Yeah, it is. Right? Fear of somebody who doesn't look like you, fear of somebody who doesn't sound like you, fear of somebody who could take more of a risk than I would, right? Somebody's going to make fun of you. Oh my God, what happens if I fail? Yeah. Right? I I was talking to a colleague this morning who's been involved in a startup that's really close to failing. And the, the executive team has gone literally subterranean. They cannot be located. And, you know, there, there are legal implications to that, right? Yeah. But it's driven by this totally primal fear. So Kathleen, let's talk about that. How do you help people? So if someone out there is listening and they are in a place of fear, which I'm going to translate for everyone, 
That means any negative emotion, by the way, any negative emotion, you know, judgment, jealousy, hatred, all of those really bubble up to fear of something. Sure. So, Kathleen, when, when, what advice would you give? What tips would you give to someone who's out there listening and is stuck in this place of paralyzed fear? How do they start to inch their way out? Breathe. And that sounds ridiculous, but there is a very biological response when you force yourself to breathe deeply. And in 10th grade, Mrs. Malash told us all to inhale over 10 and exhale over 10. And she taught us this experience to discuss the parasympathetic nervous system. Yep. And fear, overwhelm, anxiety is driven by the parasympathetic nervous system. So as you know, simplistic and ridiculous as breathing may sound, it is a very visceral response that's necessary to literally clear your head. So that when you think about all these things where people would say, I gotta get some fresh air, it's very true. Yeah. You have to, as a being, get some fresh air. So give yourself that time, that moment to get fresh air, to take that deep breath in over 10 seconds. Exhale over 10 seconds. Give yourself, I love your sound booth, Lisa. Give yourself that quiet space, cocoon. I'm not a therapist. Get a weighted blanket. You're going to start a company, get a weighted blanket because you're going to need to feel like somebody's going to have to hug you sometime and sometimes there won't be a human there. So for 125 bucks, take that seed money and get a weighted blanket for the days and you just don't want to get out of bed. That'll make you feel safe enough that you can. That's so great you, advice. I need a weighted blanket. I needed one last night. You do. You do. Because as an entrepreneur, you're in the fight really a lot of the time by yourself. Mm -hmm. And it is a fight. Your body responds as if it's a fight. Mm -hmm. It may not be a fight. It may just be the excitement of having to get a project done on a deadline but it feels like a fight to your body. Yeah. And so learn to, to recognize that in yourself and give into it, give it what it needs. So after I've done that, frankly, I start with a list. A list of who I want to address, how I want to address them, and what do I want to accomplish by doing it? Not just pro and con, but what do I want to accomplish? So the advice that I've given to this particular individual and his team is, what do you want to accomplish? Because you've learned something from this. And this experience is about, at this point, your next step. So in the contact of what you want to have happen over the next few weeks, what do you want to accomplish with each conversation, with each interaction with former investors? How do you want to explain to them how we got here? and what that has taught you so that they see value in you as their next investment, not as what has happened already. Because it's really just about where you are at this moment mm -hmm. and where you can stop beating yourself up mm -hmm. because failure is just a step on the way to success. Ooh, I totally agree with that. It's and so it, true. You have to step through yeah. 
you know, I talk a lot about the value that I have to young uh, entrepreneurs or those who are starting out on their entrepreneurial journey as, as their first steps now, and it doesn't matter what the chronological age is, is I've seen a couple of movies to the end. <laughs> And so my role and my help to you is to help short, shorten that learning period. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have failure. It doesn't mean that you're not going to have setbacks because every movie is not the same. But it provides a framework for you to assess what the next step needs to be and what you want to accomplish from that next step because every step is accretive, right? When my kids were going through elementary school and my oldest son is arguably brilliant and kind of weird, but I like that because that's who I am. And so it proves that one, he's genetically correct, but two, we would talk about everything is accretive. So first grade, you have to master first grade to go to second grade. Mm -hmm. And it's not just about mastering first grade math, it's about mastering first grade. Mm -hmm. So how you share your lunch and how you're able to play on the playground all of those skills in total are what make you available to go to second grade. He was brilliant. He was a brilliant student, but he was not very well developed as a social being, right? First, that's boys tend to get to that slower than girls. That's biological. But my role was to give him the opportunity to experience those things and ingrain it him in a way that he realized that every experience would build to the next experience. And it may have been a bad experience or something that didn't feel right for him, mm -hmm. but it gave him a footing for the next experience. Yeah. So like when he didn't win the geography B because he couldn't remember some capital of a foreign country that I don't even think exists anymore. <laughs> that gave him an experience of not always being the, the queen on top of the hill. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, you know, at this point he's 28 years old, right? Mm -hmm. He's 28 years old and he's a medical researcher specializing in cardiac psychosis. So he clones heart cells, right? He's 28 years old. He's crazy. He's super smart. Right. He's also engaged to this incredible woman who's out on Instagram and she's an MMA star. And it's like, you would have never picked the kid in first grade to be who he is today. And the largest tribute I got as a mom and now as a, a consultant was that I gave him the ability to recognize each experience as an experience that would help him inform the next experience. And where we get locked up in, and I think that social media contributes a lot to this, and I hate to sound my demographic age, but, you know, people promote what's great, right? Nobody goes on social media and says, my day really sucked. Your partner hears that, your kids hear that, your neighbor hears that, your best friend hears that, but you don't see that on social media, right? Nobody takes a picture of, here's my flat car, flat, you know, here's the part that fell off on the 101 freeway and it's 115 degrees. And I'm standing here in a suit waiting for AAA to come and pick me up and no one's stopping to help. And people are telling me to get off the road and yell. No one puts that on social media, right? Yeah. But well, I, I, yeah, I get what you're saying. And because of that, that's actually been one of the, that's like been one of my foundational pillars, I guess you would say through my post on social media is sharing the real, real, you yeah. know, and yeah. people like 
the tribe that I'm connected to, more and more people are. More and more people right. are fine. You know, there's definitely been some outliers that have jumped on and started sharing the real real. And so now there's a little bit of like safety in numbers, right? But um, I agree with you. And I think that thank God, I'm starting to see a shift in that. And well, but I mean, even in mass media, when you've seen things oh, called real, the real, right? I mean, it's not real at all, right? Yeah. And yeah, so- It drives comparison. It drives everybody to compare. And that's, exactly. that's exactly. when your inner voice comes in and tells you, oh, I'm not as good as this person, but you don't exactly. really know. Yeah. Exactly, right? And so when you talk about a, an entrepreneur early on in their experience, and maybe this is your first or even a second entrepreneurial experience, you don't deal with the same things every single time. And so you get in encased in, in this comparison, right? Oh, you know, Mark Zuckerberg was 18 years old and he dropped out of Harvard. Well, they kind of leave out that, you know, Sean Parker was on his third startup. He was connected to some of the top VCs in the country. It was certainly not their first rodeo. Yeah, he had, he was a great coder. Awesome. But there was diversity of thought around that table that gave him the experience. And that's the difference. And that's the difference, right? So if you don't bring that diversity of thought and inclusion and excitement, mm -hmm. it is about, about what you can learn from this experience so that the next time you're building, you're not starting over. Yeah. So Kathleen, for the people that you work with and you walk into their organization and you notice, gosh, there's not, there's a lot of vanilla here. <laughs> I don't see a lot of salted caramel from a mental standpoint, emotional di diversity, you know, all of it. Wh where do you start to help those folks open their eyes and start to see things differently or be open-minded to start making those shifts in who's around the table? So the first question is, why am I here? I usually show up, they've called me, I'm, I haven't called them. So what, why did you make the decision now to call mm -hmm. someone like me? And whether it's me or someone else, why mm -hmm. now? Mm -hmm. And in understanding the why, all of those other factors, come. you can see how they come into play and when. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. That's usually one of the first things that I'll do too is so, you know, what, what motivated you to contact me right. and then what, so what's the, how would you define the business problem that you're facing? Mm -hmm. And then they tell me, and I just do a lot of listening and writing, listening and writing. And then so what is it if, if at the end of this meeting you could have everything and all of your dreams and a magic wand and everything that was going to solve your problem, what would that be? Right. So that I get a really good feeling on what their expectations are, what they see. And then as I'm diving in and asking more questions, if I'm finding that the problem they think they have is not in fact the problem they have, that conversation gets pretty interesting and pointing out, yeah, you don't, you don't really need me for marketing and you know finance. What you need is you know a culture, or you need rebranding, or you actually need a social media presence. Whatever it might be, sure, sure. I think it's something different though. So those open-ended questions do tend to lead to that. And then I also get a feel for who's contributing to the conversation, and if all the vanilla in the room. I'm sure you've you've noticed the same type of thing, Kathleen. Yeah. Well, I've spent a lot of time in the last eight years or so. Um, working with nonprofit organizations. So it's always interesting to sit across from a therapist who has brought you in to look at their nonprofit as to why they're not 
either generating funds or growing and able to scale their programs to ask them in their language, you know, how does that make you feel? Yeah. Yeah. Right. Cause how does that make you feel? It's, you know, I'm here, right. You think there's, you think there's a magic wand, mm-hmm. <laughs> right. And, and, and I have not found one yet. Um, <laughs> but I, I am willing to try and I wear some lovely costumes that a magic wand would go with. But in that spectrum, there's probably a different reason why I'm here. Yeah. So Kathleen, what do you do for, for fun? Like after you've dealt with all of these, these people that you're trying to get them, you know, to turn their business around, scale their business, build a new business. I'm sure that's taxing. Like, how do you balance it? What do you do for fun in your bliss? So um, I discovered a long time ago that when you spend a lot of time in your head, you have to do something physical. physical. And that for me is about making things. So I, uh, a couple of years ago, started um, not quite the flea market flip thing, but started redoing furniture. So I learned on YouTube how to take furniture apart how to recover it, how to sew it up, how to do things. And so I have all custom furniture now in my house, um, custom by me. And now I do it for friends and family. Um, that dips into your creativity. It's like a form of meditation. We were talking about that. Yeah, no, absolutely. There's a lot to be said when you pull out of a chair, something like 10 to 15,000 staples. Mm -hmm. Mm Mm-hmm. Right. It's the physicality of having to do it and investing in the right tools started with screwdrivers that ended up in an urgent care run. There are real tools. Just putting it out there. If you're going to do the YouTube, pick the tools that they recommend. Right. No shortcuts. No shortcuts. They've seen the movie before. Right. Right. So learn how to do it correctly. Um, And it really is. It's about, and so as I'm taking things apart, it is about what it's going to look like at the end. Cause I don't start out with a particular point of view. I don't start out with what color it's going to be. I don't start out with, I'm going to leave these buttons on. I'm going to leave them off. It for me is about physically taking it apart and then looking at all the pieces and how can I assemble it so that I think it's beautiful. It's the that journey. is awesome. It's the journey. You're finding joy in the journey. Look Absolutely. at you being brilliant Absolutely. over there. That Absolutely. is awesome. What about the tea leaves? <laughs> so I'm Irish, right? Okay. Uh-huh. So my given name is Kathleen Ellen Colleen Mead. Okay. That's on the birth certificate. And just to prove that I'm Catholic, they added two more. Okay. Yeah. So, you know, when you go around in life, filling out applications with eight names yeah. before you've gotten married, um, it gives you a certain sense of what could happen next. But my grandmother was a gypsy. Right on. And she would read tea leaves. So I would come home from school. So I was born to my, at a time when no one had kids in their 40s, I was born to my parents at 41 and 45. Wow. wow. Right. Right. So they were done, right? They were doing all kinds of things. My mother used to joke that they had been married for 17 years, never expected to have kids. They had tried, failed, moved on. And when she found out she was pregnant, she had just finished laying a tile floor. (laughs) Wow. But what it gave me is an understanding. So when you talk about reading the tea leaves, is that I had always been very, very sensitive to my environment. And no one could explain why I was so sensitive to my environment. And so understanding my environment and why I was reacting to it became absolutely critical to my career and understanding what the next steps needed to be for me. 
And I didn't really accept that until my 30s. I was busy comparing myself to a lot of different people. Yeah. And a lot it, of people spend time there and it's not healthy. It's not healthy. It doesn't help you move forward. And it doesn't help you to learn from them, right? right? Because as we talked about in the beginning, right? It's all about everybody at the table. It's not about the timeout chairs. Right. And if you feel better because there are timeout chairs, it's about you. It's not about them. Yeah. Then it's ego. That's awesome. Kathleen, it's been so cool to talk to you today. If, if our listeners want to try to find you and catch up, watch a podcast, get more information about you, how do they find you? You can go to the, dot, the dotspodcast.com or kbuchko.com. B-U-C-Z-K-O. Awesome. Cool. Lisa, did you have anything else you wanted to talk about? Oh, just thank you for your time and your transparency. And we sincerely appreciate you sharing your message and sharing your life with us. So thank you so much. Anytime. Call back. I love business and bliss. Awesome. Thank <laughs> Have you. Have a good one. Bye-bye.